everybody. You guys look uh, bright-eyed and kind of bushy-tailed. You know, the sorrels I just saw walk in, they have spent the week in the Bahamas. And when they walked in, they had that kind of spring break swagger to them. <laughs> like, I noticed Ryan was walking down the aisle kind of like, and I, I appreciated that in you. Did y'all have fun? Yeah? That's good. I'm so glad. Yeah. Hey, Thank you for showing up not hungover. I thought that was special. That was really good. Hey, we are going to have quite a conversation today. This is my good friend, Julie Homrich, and uh, one of the smartest people I've ever been around. Every time I have a conversation with her, I come away feeling like I'm smarter. I mean, that's, I feel the same that way. is awesome. I mean, because yeah. I need a lot of help there. The, um, would you guys bring up the house lights for just a minute? I want to see some folks that are here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let me just say to all of you, today is a unique conversation. Uh, Sugar Hill Church is launching out in an endeavor over the next year or so to create a center for mental and emotional health. Now, I would just say to you, this doesn't sound like what a church would do. Right? I mean, a church, our, our typical way in which we deal with, with mental health is we kind of pull the pin on a Bible verse hand grenade and we throw it at somebody, we hope it explodes in love and it works. But the fact of the matter is we, we are in a time in which I can't think of one, of one of the more significant issues we deal with in America today is that it, we're dealing with emotional and mental health. And w the church is literally overrun with people in our community and it goes from children to senior adults. There, no, no segment of our population is, is, is not a part of this challenge. And one of the differences in the way Sugar Hill Church is approaching this is we believe, along with Julie, that uh, faith and science are actually a hand-in-glove experience, that, that we're not at war with science, that literally God created us in such a way that he gave us a supercomputer between our brains and, and between our brains, between our ears, and some of us have multiple brains. I mean, that's why Julie talks with me a lot about Chuck, really. So uh, one of the things we truly want to try to work through is how do we figure out how we actually transform? How does our life literally change so that we might become all that God intended us to be? Now, for, for true transformation to take place, uh, it's, not, it's not any different than spiritual development. This is what I think we've really got to wrap our head around. That mental health and emotional health is no different than discipleship. That these, are, these are identical issues. Because as we grow to become more like Christ, what happens is we grow to become more of what Christ designed us to be. For that to happen... It's not just something that's a heart issue. Everything that matters is a matter of the heart. But one of the things that is connected is that most of our heart issues have to start here. And so what's happening in our minds, what's happening in our brains, because something that is significantly important for Christians to wrap their head around about how did God wire us and how do we truly transform. Now, you might be here today or watching online, you're going to hear Julie in a minute unpack all these incredible learnings, but what I have learned greatly is that everybody I know is transforming in some way. So if that's the case, maybe your transformation is how you see yourself. Maybe that transformation is how you see others, how you engage in relationships in your family. 
Possibly it is something about self-image. Possibly it's something as small as I, I need to work myself through a bad attitude or forgiveness. Everybody I know needs to go from where they're at to somewhere closer that God wants us to be. And this is why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you read this text. And I'm reading from the New Living to start with because I really want you to get these words. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, if you just stop right there, that is, that is eight sermons in, in a half a sentence. Because in essence, what... what what the writer of Romans is saying to us is this. As Paul is unpacking this, he's saying, you don't have to fit the mold of what the world desires for you. You can literally transform yourself through the power of understanding a changed, renewed brain, mind. Listen to the rest, rest of the text. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If there's anything I know is that the number one question I get from people is this. Chuck, how do I know God's will for my life and how do I know it's God? I hear it all the time. Chuck, I I feel like this is what I ought to do, but how do I know that that's God's will for my life? Well, Paul's giving you the answer to this question. Because if we can figure out how to transform the way we think, we can know, not, not kind of think, but we can know God's will for our life. Now, I want you to listen to another translation. All right? This translation comes from the message. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, don't let yourself be poured into a mold that somebody else has designed for you. One of the things I know is that the whole world has a plan for my life. But the only plan that matters for my life is God's plan for my life. And when I become comfortable with that, I find my life to be so much more fulfilling. So the rest of the text says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, and listen to this, and readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Is this beautiful or what? One more translation. The ESV, one of my favorite translations, says, do not be conformed to this world. My buddy Mal has a a tattoo on his arm that says, do not be conformed. Every time you see him, I see that, do not be conformed. And I'm thinking, we all need that reminder. Do not be conformed to this world. And this is where preachers love to stop and hang out. Because do not be conformed is easier to point this bony finger of guilt and say, you need to get your junk together. But I believe the teaching Paul is saying is like on the front end, hey, you don't have to be what everybody else wants you to be, and then says, but be transformed. Isn't this the beauty? Change, to be transformed, and listen to this, by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, and listen to this, what is good, what is acceptable, and I love this one, and what is perfect. How cool is that? So... Uh, I couldn't think of anybody on the planet that would be better at helping us understand how this brain helps us transform than my friend Julie Homrich. When I met Julie some time ago, uh, I called Beth and I said, Beth, this girl is so Sugar Hill. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I, I have found a partner in crime here, right? And every time we have talked, it's been like, wow, she does get what we're trying to do better than anybody I know because faith 
and science really are to be hand-in-glove experiences. So, uh, Julie, I, I think it's important for us to try to figure out uh, how do we begin this process of transformation? Because I, I had this experience in my life several years ago. I mean, I've gone through some weird junk in my life. And um, when I came to the point where I began to understand that I could literally be in a conversation with my creator and I could hush and hear from him, mm -hmm. meditation became something in my life that was so special. Yeah. But not meditation. I mean, I, I think sometimes in, in America we hear meditation and it's like I have to go full-blown Deepak, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I just, I, but meditation, to put you all at ease, I mean, prayerful meditation is truly quietude, mm -hmm. solitude, a willingness to hear from God, and by the way, consistency. I mean, that's, that's all it is. And so I want to urge you, don't be afraid of these things, and don't be afraid of the conversation about our brain. This is because God has wired us with the greatest computer on the planet. What we can do is learn from it, and we can learn some from Julie. So uh, launch us out and get us started on the conversation of transformation. Yeah. So I'm an integrative psychotherapist, and basically what that means is that I integrate faith into counseling if the client chooses. Um, and I'm also a follower of Jesus myself. So I have seen personally and professionally what a profound process this is when we truly choose to renew our minds and how our brains actually get transformed in that process. So integrative therapists, we focus on the body, the soul, and the spirit and how to kind of combine all of those things. And I have a particular interest in what's happening in our brains when we engage in spiritual practices, hmm. like prayer, Bible study, worship. Um, and there's actually a word for this. There's a field. It's called neurotheology. I want to put that on my business card. <laughs> neurotheology. I want to say Chuck Allen, neurotheologist. Neurotheologist, yes. I don't think anybody would buy that. <laughs> yeah. So it combines, you know, neuro is kind of like our brain, and theology, of course, is how we choose to study and live out our faith and experience it. So, you know, when merging brain science and scripture, it's a very fascinating field. So this verse, Romans 12:2, gives us this perfect opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into what's happening in our brains as we renew our minds. Okay, so I think this is the key to the conversation. So uh, this is critically important for, it was for me, and I trust it will be for you, and that is that as we begin to transform there is the presence of the Spirit of God working within us. And when we join forces with a deeper understanding of how God has created us, then I believe what can happen, and I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on this, because we really haven't rehearsed all this, is there, there seems to be an acceleration of, of how we can grow, how we transform, and then the net result is then we truly can understand and know God's will for our life at a more rapid pace, and as Scripture said, then respond to it. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, uh, let, launch us off into what, what, ha what is happening in the brain yeah. when we actually start transformation. 
Yeah, so let's start with talking just a little bit about the brain, right? I mean, we know we have one, but what is it made of? And I think at the core, to kind of simplify it, our brains are made of gray matter and billions and billions of cells called neurons. And these neurons aren't just kind of floating around aimlessly in the brain. They actually connect together to create pathways in our brain. And these are called neural pathways. So I kind of liken these to GPS routes for our brain. They tell our brain kind of what to do and where to go. So for example, right now, your auditory nerve in your ear is taking in information, translating it through a neural pathway to the area of your brain that helps you synthesize and process language and sound. And the more we use a particular pathway, the stronger it becomes. So our brains are essentially kind of like a muscle that we can exercise. So you can blaze a trail. You can blaze a trail. And if our brains were like a field and you drove a four-wheeler through that field, over and over again in the same spot, you would kind of create a pathway. And that's what happens when we choose to focus on particular things. Yeah. Our brains create these well-worn pathways. I love that. So with, with that, in you told me a story about your iPhone, <laughs> which I thought was pretty interesting because it does give a, an idea of what happens when we create these pathways because we are people of repetition. Right. And we are people that when we find a pathway, we tend to stick there. Mm -hmm. But transformation requires that you edit it or totally change it, maybe even reverse it. Right. So, like, your iPhone told you a story. Yeah. yeah. So, anybody, any iPhone users out there? Yeah. So, I kind of liken these neural pathways and our habits that are built to a feature that I have on my iPhone. And when you stop to think about it, this feature is actually a little bit creepy, um, but I'll explain it to you. So essentially what happens is my navigation system on my iPhone, it tracks where I've traveled most often over the past few weeks or so, and it tracks the times that I've traveled there. And then, kind of eerily, it will send me an alert at that time of day, directing me to the place that I've traveled most. So for example, at three o'clock in the afternoon, it'll say, seven minutes to Buford Highway, which is where my son's school is. Or on the way home from work, right when I usually leave, it'll say 10 minutes to home. Does anybody else's phone do oh, that? Yeah. yeah, so I will say we hit a little bit of a low point in the middle of the pandemic when my husband and I got in the car and we looked down at my phone and it was routing us directly to Chick-fil-A. So Come on. That's funny. I'll have a number one with a Diet Dr. Pepper. Right. And they're laughing because they know me and they know this is true. <laughs> um, so our brains kind of do the same thing. Yeah. It picks up on our, our most used routes and it directs us in that way. So does our brain function like running water? Does it follow the path of least resistance? Yeah, in a sense. But we have the ability to change that path. Okay. Now you use a word for how that happens. Um, I'm trying to pull it out of my... Neuroplasticity. There you go. I've tried to say that all week and I can't, so I'm not even going to try. Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, okay, yes. Okay, <laughs> good. All right. So I find this word interesting mm -hmm. because God wired us with a brain that does have the ability to change. Right, right. And up until about the mid-20th century, neuroscientists had kind of this fatalistic view of the brain. They kind of thought that it's once it's fully developed before adolescence, that that's just the brain that we kind of have to work with. But about four to five decades ago, they started taking pictures of the brain. 
like MRIs, PET scans, and things of that nature, and they found something revolutionary. They found that, yes, our brains have these pathways, and they do become well-worn, but we actually have the ability and the capacity to rewire our brains, to reroute those common pathways. And that's what neuroplasticity is. So that, that word that I can't say, uh, the, the beauty of it is, and I think there's a slide that I want you guys to hear this statement, that our minds mm -hmm. are actually created by God, which I love, mm -hmm. with the ability to be transformed. Yes, and renewed on a physical, tangible, cellular sense in yeah. addition to the spiritual sense. For example, today, neuroplasticity is happening right now as we sit here. So the brain that you came in with today is not gonna be the same brain that you leave with because you're gaining new information, your brain is creating new neural pathways, and what you do with that, we'll talk about in a minute, but that makes all the difference. Wow, so think about it. The brain you came in with, you're gonna leave with a new one, and all of the wives said amen. <laughs> Yeah, so, so let, me, let me try to take a look at this. The brain can change. Yes. We have to create new pathways. Mm -hmm. To create new pathways, we create new routines. Mm -hmm. uh, we create a new way in which we want to be. Mm -hmm. And according to scripture, when we connect that with, what, with God's desire for us, because now as we change, it's becoming easier to do so, mm -hmm. then we can start, like the four-wheeler you mentioned, creating those new paths in the field of right. that gray matter. Mm -hmm. And so those neuropathways then mm -hmm. are taking an exit from what might be our norm right. to head toward a new norm. Renewal. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So when I look at that, I think to myself, uh, and a question comes to mind, what, what then uh, would be the difference? Because I, I've, I've always heard, and when I was trained doing a lot of temperament assessments, there's a difference between temperament and personality. So is there a difference between, as the scripture talks about, mind mm -hmm. uh, and brain? Yes. Are, these, are, are they actually two different things? They are. So that's a really great question. And people who study the mind and the brain would say that they are a little bit different, that our mind consists of our thoughts, our feelings, and this is one of the most important parts, our ability to choose. So the Greek word for mind in Romans 12.2 is, um, it basically talks about the ability to think with mm -hmm. our emotion and with our reason. Now our brains are the concrete vehicle through which all of this operates, or kind of the container through which our mind operates. So when Paul says to renew our minds, he's really highlighting that we have a choice in what we're going to focus on, what we're going to believe, what we're going to strengthen in our brains. And then neuroscience shows that our brains, our actual physical structure of our brains is being renewed as we renew our minds. So, I mean, you don't have to be a preacher to figure out the connection here, right? Because what, what we're seeing here and what Julie's teaching us is this recognition that not only can it change, but going along with the free will that God gave you at creation gives you the choice to change. You have the choice to decide every day which path you want your brain to either stay on or create, right? right? Exactly. And so this goes right along with discipleship, which is exactly what this is about. But I do have a question that I think everybody here might want to be helped by. Okay. If it, that sounds so easy. <laughs> right. But, I mean, if it were easy, you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. 
right? So it's not as easy as it sounds like, because like anything else in, in life, something that's worthwhile is going to take some effort. Exactly. So what is it inside of us that can help us make that choice so that we have the opportunity to, to create new neural pathways? Mm -hmm. And that's another great question. Even in therapy, when people come in and, you know, they want change in their life, they feel stuck in some way. Mm. And maybe it's behavior change or relationship change or even thought pattern change. And we focus on the change, but we also focus on what's blocking them from the change, what's mm. preventing them from getting there. And there are a few things that prevent us or block us from renewing our mind. And for the sake of time today, we're gonna focus solely on one. It's a common human emotion that we've all experienced um, probably at least once a day. I'll give you a hint. I experienced it back there right before I walked on the stage. Fear. Fear, exactly. Number one fear in America year after year is public speaking. That's true. Yeah. Very true. And so Here you, we I, are. I saw you backstage. Yeah. And because this is a little bit out of your norm. Right. It was like I, I saw Julie needed a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm used to the two chairs, right? Yeah. But not yeah. all the people. I was wondering, do you actually have a sofa that people lay down in your office on? You know, so, some clients like to have that feel. So, yeah, yeah. they'll, they'll yeah. lay down. But most mostly So no. should I ever show up there? Could we get a recliner? <laughs> yeah. That's okay. a great question. So... This whole, this whole thing about fear, mm -hmm. we preach about it a lot. Right. I think one of the challenges is it's easy to say, Scripture tells us one for every day, you don't have to be afraid. Don't fear. And I get, I mean, I, cognitively, I, I wrap my head around that. But how my brain responds to that is a different animal. Exactly. And hang tight with me, guys, on this next part, because it gets a little bit technical, but... This understanding could make the difference between your next argument being this knockdown, drag out fight or a productive conversation. So let's imagine our brains as a hand. Do you want to take your hand and put it up like this? Y'all do that with me. Go ahead. <laughs> this is an object lesson. Yeah. So right here, if this is our brain and you take your thumb and put it right here and take your four fingers and place it over, it kind of looks like a little brain, right? A little By bit. the way, if you punch somebody like that, you're going to break your thumb. Yeah, not best form so. for punching. So right here where your thumb is, is an area of the brain called the amygdala. Don't even try to say it. It's just a fancy... Let's say that on three. You ready? <laughs> That'll make us all feel smarter. One, two, three. Amygdala. IQ of this room went sky high. My four-year-old walks around saying it over and over. I love amygdala. that. And so this is the area of the brain that's the threat detection system, okay? If our brain was a building, this would be the fire alarm of the brain. Right here where our four fingers are, this is a really important area of our brain, and this is an area that God uses a lot. This is the prefrontal cortex, okay? So the prefrontal cortex is, we'll just call it the thinking brain, because it's responsible for reason, logic, problem solving. If you take your other hand and kind of place it on your forehead right here, this right behind your skull is where your prefrontal cortex is. And this is also an area in the brain, which we'll talk about in a minute, where we can renew our minds. Now, our prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until we're in about our mid-20s. So if any of you have adolescents at home, no offense to teenagers in here, but if they're acting kind of illogical at times, there's a biological reason for that. Just brains haven't been fully developed yet. Yeah, so I, I spent years uh, every summer teaching at mm -hmm. Student Leadership University, and we talked about this brain. 
because the brain kind of grows around this way right. and this prefrontal cortex that you're mm -hmm. talking about until such time as your late 20s maybe 30 or more mm -hmm. uh, it kind of stops right here right and so when we would talk to students about it and their parents would be in the room we'd be talking about when your child does something really goofy it's because they're living in this space of their brain that is not fully developed right. and so scientists have a name for this called the land of stupid I still live there. It's not a technical <laughs> term, is it? No, not scientific. Well, it is a theological term. Yeah, and so that. when your kid does something that's totally goofball and think, how could you possibly think that was okay? It was because of this, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they weren't they weren't able to necessarily use their reason or logic in that moment. So if we go back to the structure of the brain and we talk back about the amygdala, because usually a lot of times if we're not using our prefrontal cortex, we might be reacting from our amygdala, our brain's fire alarm. And this is the area of the brain that gets a signal from the environment when there's a threat. So has anyone ever heard of the fight or flight response? Mm -hmm. Anybody ever heard of that? So this is an area of the brain that kind of starts to activate that response. And therapists and psychologists have added another word to that over the years. They say the fight, flight, or freeze mm. response. And I do want to share this because I think it's important for anybody who's had any sort of trauma in their life um, to understand this. Because if we're in a situation um, that's traumatic and our brain determines that we can't fight, maybe the person is too big or the situation is too big and we can't flight, we can't get away, maybe because we're physically um, not able to, or emotionally, relationally, socioeconomically, what our brain does at that point is it freezes. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of people who come in and say, why didn't I leave, or why didn't I run? And your brain was trying to protect you in that moment. So that's kind of what our, what our brain does in that fight, flight, or freeze moment. And this is a valuable So what insight. happens, what, what's going on in our brain mm -hmm. when um, this, this logic part uh, is lost or overrun by this amygdala. Right. So the first thing that happens with the amygdala is that it sends a message to another part of our brain that then sends out stress hormones all throughout our body. Okay. So how many of y'all had some stress hormones this week? Anybody? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. How so many of you should have raised your hand then and didn't? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So physiologically, what happens in this moment, you guys might notice that your heart starts beating really fast, right? Or your breathing gets kind of more shallow. And this is actually a really adaptive, good thing. Our hearts are beating fast to pump more blood to our extremities so that if we can run, we will. Our breathing is increasing so that we can get more oxygen to our brains. If anybody ever feels like their stomach is kind of in knots when you're feeling anxious or even angry, that's because when this happens, when this response gets sent out, our digestion slows down. So this is adapted because you don't really need to digest your lunch if your life is in danger, right? This is our body prioritizing. So um, when this fire alarm goes off, the interesting thing is that our thinking brain, our prefrontal cortex, it gets disabled for a minute. Whoa. So it actually goes uh, offline. So the, this, this is us, mm -hmm. and when we have something that that alarm is uh -huh. signaled, this happens and exposes this amygdala, if you will, to let it take over. We call it an amygdala hijack, yes. Wow. So uh, basically what's happening is that we get overpowered by our amygdala. 
And this also makes sense adaptively because you don't really need to contemplate about the meaning of life if you're getting chased by a bear, right? It's all about reacting. Mm. Um, a term that we use in counseling is we say, we flipped our lid. So if anybody's ever been in a situation or an argument, and then afterwards you're thinking, why did I say that? What was I yeah. thinking? Well, chances are maybe you weren't thinking, you know, maybe you were responding from this this part of the brain. It literally flipped your lid. Flipped your lid, yes. Yeah. And anyone who's seen a toddler mid-meltdown knows exactly what this looks like in its extreme form, right? There's no reasoning at that point. Yeah, I can lid. remember one of our daughters, uh, we were in a mall on vacation when she was little and she wanted something out of a candy store desperately. Uh -huh. And then we were like, uh-uh, no, this yeah. is not good. And she, she totally flipped her lid, mm -hmm. you know? But I've, I've done it. We've all done it. Yeah, I guess I have a question that's totally off script here, Julie, mm -hmm. but is it possible that this happens in the way we see people that are different than us? So case in point, so is it possible that somebody who's, who's lived in a, uh, in a traditionally all-white community mm -hmm. sees a black neighbor move in mm -hmm. and that amygdala says, wait a minute, that uh-oh, this is different, and they flip their lid, and kind of the hint, kind of the start, starting genesis, if you will, of some racist perspective. Is that possible? It is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week in the small group, but studies show that when we see somebody on a screen, they did a study where you see somebody of a different race, when you see their face, the amygdala part of the brain lights up. Wow. The threat center, that fear piece. Of so the one of the things we can do is create new, new neuro pathways mm -hmm. so that we can rethink that. Right. That right. is so good. And this is, it's really, really important to be able to do that. So, you know, one thing about the amygdala, it's really great at identifying threats, but it's not so great at ranking them. Mm. So for example, an emotionally charged argument with a friend or a spouse or a family member, can elicit this kind of flip your lid response, yeah. not because our lives are in danger, but because this fear-based part of the brain in some capacity believes that our connection is at risk with another person if we disagree. Wow. And, you know, humans are wired for connection. So that would lead me to a question then that I think all of us would want to know. Mm -hmm. So with this in mind, is it, is it just our, our brain being transformed, or to what degree does our brain being transformed affect the rest of our body? Because I think a lot of people's transformation that they want individually mm -hmm. includes physical things, uh, health, weight, uh, the things we can control. Mm -hmm. Like, So is it just about our brain? Because Paul is also saying prior to this, in the first verse of chapter 12, mm -hmm. that we're that our bodies are to be something that we surrender to the Lord. And then he goes into the brain. So these two have to be connected somehow. Yeah, yeah. And when we have the opportunity to renew our minds in our prefrontal cortex, and when we choose not to continually over and over again, what happens when this amygdala sends out that alert is that, remember those, those stress hormones that are kind of coursing all throughout your body? Well, if this happens on a regular basis over and over again, an abundance of stress hormones coursing throughout our bodies, it's actually been proven to cause something in the body called inflammation. 
and inflammation in the medical community is a core precursor to disease, heart disease, diabetes, and things of that nature. So it really does matter what we choose to believe. It not only affects us mentally, but it actually affects us physically on a physiological sense. Yeah, this is why I hear uh, people that have uh, terminal cancer where uh, doctors will say to a family, they'll say things like, but she wants to live, or he wants to live. He, he has a desire so strong for this. And it, something tells me that they're creating a new neuropathway that says, I'm not willing to give up. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, and their body is responding to that instead of choosing to believe things that would induce stress, they're choosing to believe things that would induce hope. So fascinatingly, then pick any action that you think you need to add or delete from your life. When transformation is happening in our brain, it is simultaneously happening to our body. Mm -hmm. So if we are to then renew our mind, if we are to find neuropathways in our brain, in essence what we're saying is this is going to change me from head to toe for the better. Transform you, yeah. Absolutely. When I hear inflammation, how many of you woke up this morning and part of your body hurt? Anybody? Okay, that's plenty of us. So if nothing else, this transformation in our mind is worth it to eliminate some degree of inflammation that's happening in your body as a result of these stressors, right? A piece of it, yeah. Okay, so the other day when we were talking, you told me something that literally almost flipped my lid in a good way, <laughs> which was you were describing to me that we have some tools at our disposal mm -hmm. that can make it not only easier to create these new pathways, mm -hmm. but in doing so literally help transform all of us. Right. And one of those is truly meditation. Mm -hmm. All right, so for those of you that are wondering, all right, so Chuck, is this whole deal about getting me to meditate? And the answer is no, but the entire focus of today is to get you to think. I mean, the whole focus today is I want you to think about this is, what is God's very best for me? And God's very best for you requires that you hear from him. God's very best for you requires that you understand how he's made you. So I, I, I did a little search, and I found this phrase that I couldn't wait to share with you guys. It says, the Bible mentions meditate or meditation 23 times, 19 times alone in the book of Psalms. We read the book of Psalms for both encouragement and transformation. So when you read through the Psalms 19 times, God is saying, meditate on this right? So why would we surrender this to some oddity that we have attached that, that word to when meditation is truly prayerful time to hear from God? Mm -hmm. So don't, I would I say, don't flip your lid and overthink the term meditation. Let me go on with the phrase. When the Bible mentions meditation, listen to this, it almost always mentions obedience in the next breath. So when we meditate, we find it easier to follow God's will for our life. Who doesn't want that? I mean, if you're a follower of Christ and you're saying to yourself, but I want God's best for my life, then meditation is an essential part of doing that. So I, I looked up a few things I thought might help you with this. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So you would say, well, check this, and I, I'm not going to read my Bible day and night. I'm, that's not what it's saying. It is saying literally, think on the things of God day and night. Mm -hmm. 
think on the things of God's greatest desire for you day and night. Listen to Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, you say, well, Chuck, connect that to the New Testament because I'm not an Old Testament guy. Well, if you're not an Old Testament person, you're really missing the beauty of Scripture. But just for those of you that want to live in the New Testament, let me take you to John's Gospel in chapter 14, where Jesus says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who also sent me. So if you just took those three pieces of Scripture, meditate on this, and then Jesus says, you know, the easiest way to love me is to obey me, and the easiest way to obey me is to love me, and the best way to do that is to meditate on me. And so when I look at this, I think, so I literally can change and have new neuropathways in my brain that benefit all of my body, hence my life, and transformation has begun because I've done this intentionally mm-hmm. and consistently. Right. Because the four the four wheeler that you gave in, inside of that field, it doesn't happen one time. Right. The, 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 it creates itself. It's almost like we need to create a new rut and stay in it and then expand it. Right. Yeah. And all of this, you know, the the admonitions and the um, encouragement to be in prayerful meditation is another area where science now that we have more information is confirming scripture Mm -hmm. so there's a an individual a scientist named andrew newberg he's kind of the leading neurotheologian so he might have a business card that says neurotheologian on it and he wanted to do a study he wanted to understand what was happening in our brains when we pray Hmm. so we know that prayer transforms our spirit right but is it possible that it can also have some pretty significant changes in our brain? So he did a research study and he took participants and he scanned their brains with an fMRI machine. So he wanted to see a baseline of what their brains looked like. He separated them into two groups, the control group who he did nothing with, the intervention group who these people engaged in prayerful meditation on a loving God for just 12 minutes a day for eight weeks. And then when it was over, he scanned everybody's brains again. And what he found was fascinating. He found that the individuals who engaged in that prayerful meditation, they actually had strengthened their prefrontal cortex. And in some cases, they had even shrunk their amygdala. So really being in this place of prayerful meditation actually strengthens the area in our brain that helps us make wise decisions and lessens that knee-jerk, fear-based reaction. And this is you know, highlighted in scripture too. And John says, perfect love, God's perfect love drives out fear. Mm. This is happening on a spiritual sense, but also in a, on a physiological sense. So when I think about that, mm-hmm. I think to myself, what is it God wants from us? Well, naturally what we know is we know he wants us to love him, to choose to love him. He doesn't force that love upon us. We're not puppets on a string. He gives us a will and a choice. But his desire for us is that we might have all of his best because what he has for us is our best. No, nothing on this planet has a better plan for you than God does. None of us, no matter what kind of planner you are, has a better plan for your life than God has for you. And so with that in mind, I think we would have to say, why on earth would we not choose, like this study proves, 
why would I not choose to enter some degree of meditation? I mean, for two minutes, mm -hmm. we know would make a significant difference. Yeah. So why on earth would we not introduce that to in our life? And I think it's because mentally we have to make a choice. I need a new path because to stay like I am means I'm limiting experiencing all that God has for me. Right. It feels comfortable, but yeah. it might not be the best. Well, so as you continue, continue to learn about the brain, then somehow, Julie, it says to me, I need new pathways, I need to forge them, but according to that study, one of the fastest ways I can do that is to meditate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, scripture talks about meditating in our heart, right? right? So we're constantly learning about the brain and the heart and the pathways between the two. And there is actually a physiological pathway between our brain and our heart and back again. So when we hear people say, let's let that move from our head to our heart, yeah. it's happening spiritually and it's also happening physiologically. Not only that, but our hearts actually have between 40 and 50 billion neurons in them. So these neurons are a little bit different than the ones in our brain, but there is an element, you know, scripture talks about believing with our heart, right? Mm -hmm. So there is an element of us being able to believe with our heart. And scientists call this area the, the heart's little brain. Wow. And not only do our hearts have a little brain, but our brains have a little heart. If you ever wonder, where in my brain does feeling, you know, do feelings yeah, come yeah. from? Love, empathy, compassion. Well, there's a specific area in the brain that has a, a main part in this called the anterior cingulate cortex, and we'll call it the ACC. And what's interesting about this part of the brain is that when individuals signed up for a study to get their brain scanned while they were engaging in prayer, they found that this area of the brain lit up when people were praying. Wow. So that means that it was getting activated and it was getting stronger. And so essentially what this tells me is that us being in a place of prayer can actually strengthen the area in our brain that helps us love others better. So meditative prayer mm -hmm. allows that part of your brain that we need to fire to fire mm -hmm. in essence. I mean, I'm exactly. using layman's term, but, but yeah. literally that's what's happening. And that's our desire. Right. So if that's the case, then it would help to have a tool that would uh -huh. allow us to consistently do so. Yes. So let, let us introduce you all to something uh, today that I want to urge you, I cannot plead with you enough to, to enter this week by giving this a shot for the next seven days, all right? Uh, I've admitted to you for the last few years that one of the most radical changes in my life came when I began the process of meditative prayer. I mean, my day falls apart when I literally skip that. It's like I'm not firing on all cylinders. So on your way out today, uh, we want to encourage you to pick up this card just like this and the ushers at every door will have these for you and i can't urge you enough to pick up one of these cards this is a app that you can download onto your phone or or device and it, it'll work on iphone android whatever you got and uh literally when you use the code that will, the guys are going to put up on the screen for you hopefully right now then uh you'll have the opportunity to get the the free for free for 30 days, their professional service. So guys, do you not have that? Can somebody give me a thumbs up that, yay, we do or don't? Or is it behind me? I guess not. Okay, well, that's not cool. Uh, so, so what we will do for you is we will make sure that, that we get this to you. If I remember right, it's soulspace.co slash sugarhill. All right, so would you, would you capture that for me? Soulspace, S-O-U-L-S-P-A-C-E, soulspace. It's not .com, it's .co. 
slash Sugar Hill. I'm going to say it one more time. Soulspace.co slash Sugar Hill. So on your way out, you're going to get this. That will remind you how to, how to download the app. The, the app is free. If you buy the service for a whole year, it's like 19 bucks, right? It's, it works free. You get a free meditation every day, but you can't go back and look at them unless you, you, you purchase it. We're not here to sell it to you. You get the opportunity to do that for free for 30 days, all right? Uh, Julie's husband was kind enough to, to work this out for us with this company so they could do this. So what we want to do for you right now is uh, we want to give you a taste of what a soul space meditation feels like. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you would just kind of uh, close up whatever you've got and uh, kind of sit still, get your hands in your lap, and uh, follow the directions and here, because when I close my eyes, my brain goes, uh, if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you're like me and when you close your eyes, it's squirrel, then just go ahead and leave them open, but follow with, with the breathing and the process, then we'll wrap up our day. So, Zach, if you would, go ahead and play that for me.
So, you say, Chuck, I don't, I can't, that was forever. I couldn't do that every day. That was less than five and a half minutes. And your neurons are firing right now. You began a new neural pathway this morning. I urge you with all that I am, to carve out those five and a half minutes each day this week and begin taking your, your four-wheeler brain and creating a new path in the field of your week so that your mind is transformed so that you might know the perfect will of God for your life. I know today was different, but I urge you next Sunday to join Julie and I we're going to be in the fellowship hall for an extended period of time. We're going to go from 10.15 to 12. And this is going to take this a little deeper so that we really can understand what's going on with this amygdala and this prefrontal cortex and what's happening with the heart of our brain, how we make decisions, how do we make better decisions in things like how do we parent better, how do we live with, with a more joy-filled life, how do these things occur. And so I urge you to come and be a part of that. And whatever you do, I urge you on your way out, pick up this little card. And, and don't walk away from this thinking, okay, I remember it. I promise you you're not going to remember it. But if you'll take this and let it be a reminder to download this app and make sure you use that, that code so that you get this free, which is, is really simple, soulspace.co slash sugarhill. And I cannot urge you enough to make sure you introduce prayerful meditation into every day. Now, I want to ask the men in the room, look right here. All right, we're about to be done. Guys in the room, look right here. Some of you guys right now are th thinking to yourself, Chuck, that is what sissy men do. All right? If you're thinking that right now, you are in desperate need of a new neuropathway. Because I can't think of a more I can't think of a more manly thing to do than to choose today to become everything God wants you to be. 
do not let your previous orthodoxies, understandings, or preferences keep you from following the most simple activity that truly can connect your head and your heart and allow you do not have to live in fear, but to live knowing that perfect, perfect love of God casts that out. And so I can't imagine a church not willing to tackle this head on. Because every human I know needs transformation, and every human I know needs the ability to have emotional and mental health. So I want to thank you. I also want to urge you before you go today... If you haven't already signed up to be a part of our Beyond Dinner, which is coming up this next weekend, guys, what's happening in Sugar Hill Beyond will blow your mind. Uh, when you see what the future is in the mission work in and around our church and internationally, this is something that I'm begging you to sign up, register to be here. I, I want to unpack along with Pastor Mao all the things that are happening in Sugar Hill you can register online. You can register on the app. Heck, you can call the office and say, I don't want to fool with that. Would you register me? But we'll get you registered for that dinner. And make sure you're a part of that. So before you leave, though, let me pray for you and send you out with a blessing. God, today, I want to thank you for Julie and for her work. Thank you for uh, the, the brilliance that she brings to this discussion. Connect our head and our heart. Allow ourselves not to not to flip our lid, but to be able to learn how to create these new pathways in our brain so that we might be renewed and understand through that transformation your perfect will for our life. So give us wisdom this week. God, I pray you give us courage to introduce meditation into our life. God, I pray you use soul space in our life this week to help us transition and to transform so that a week from now we're not the same we are today that we don't fall into our same rut, that we're willing and we're capable to follow after your best for us. God, don't let us be lazy Christians. Don't let us sit here and say, well, you know, good enough is good enough when you have the best for us. So I pray we chase after your best this week. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. So today, as you get ready to leave, I invite you. Let Jesus go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Julie, that's what he does. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment. Because listen, friend, he is always good. And the greatest news is you're always loved. And when days are difficult, let that same Jesus come behind you and pick you up. And carry you not around the mess, but through the middle of it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet. And like a good father would, wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you. So you can look him eyeball to eyeball and you can hear him say, my child, say it with me, I love you. Julie, thank you so, so much. And thank you for being here. You guys go in peace. Soulspace.co slash Sugar Hill. God bless y'all.